Hey, well, we're excited to see you guys. If you have your Bibles open to Song of Solomon chapter one, we're going to be continuing in on our series this morning. We've been in our dating series so far. And last week, if you're here with us, Sarah DeGroote did an awesome job talking through kind of the roles that females have in this whole thing called dating. All right. Kind of looked at it from the female perspective. I noticed that you guys were even probably more zoned in than the ladies, right? Like I'm inside a look at what in the world is a woman thinking. All right. So you guys were zoned in. And so this week, what we're going to do kind of, if you think about uh, dating, kind of the movement of two uh, partners, so to speak, in this movement thing called dating, we're going to look at the, the role that the guys play. Uh, it's kind of hard to kind of get a, a great sense of the whole picture when we're looking at just at the roles the girls play last week. And so we'll kind of uh, bring the partnership around of that on the guy side and kind of see this tandem move from attraction to dating. That's kind of what we're going to do this morning. I'll tell you guys, for me, it's kind of funny, ironic talking about dating to you guys, because at least for me in college, I felt like I had no clue what was going on, all right? I had a few wheels off moments, a few wheels off dates, it really kind of made me go back to the basics of like, what in the world is expected of me as a man, as a guy in dating, all right? One of those moments actually occurred in my senior year in college, all right? I was still trying to figure out what in the world I was doing senior year, all right? Uh, it's fall semester, I was dating a girl, uh, she was a Bible study leader here at Grace, I was a Bible study leader here at Grace, ministry had never been so good, all right? Just kidding. Thing, right, uh, but we were off to kind of a good start. Things were clicking, things were going great. It was kind of having fun. Uh, and but at some point along the way, I actually mentioned the same dating relationship a few weeks ago. But I, I was actually having to like, at some point along the way, either we just weren't clicking or a conversation became really difficult because I literally would have to write out a list of topics to even talk about. All right, so the wheels were kind of starting to come off. All right, also I kind of began to realize that this girl had gotten out of a two-year-long relationship with a guy. And had just recently gotten out of it. And so there was kind of some trust issues. She kind of was having a hard time. And I was kind of getting to that place of realizing this probably wasn't going to keep going further. And that was probably going to be a good thing. But one night I was ever at her house. Her roommates were there. But we were just kind of, as a group, kind of watching a show, a movie. Uh, and all of a sudden there was a knock at the door. And so she goes to the door. And all of a sudden she slips out on the other side of the door. And I don't know what's going on or where she is. A couple minutes later, as I'm kind of wondering what's going on, all of a sudden I hear her yelling at someone, all right? Flat out, as top of her lungs, yelling with all kinds of emotion, all right? Also began to realize that someone else is now yelling back at her, all right? And it's a voice I recognize. It's her ex-boyfriend who's now showed up at the front door, all right? And they're yelling at one another. Now, you have to realize that her ex-boyfriend was, and I'm no exaggeration, all right? This is not a preacher's exaggeration, but he was like 250 pounds of sheer muscle, all right? With the personality of a boxer, not like the cute one that you dress up that is like all over YouTube that's like singing Taylor Swift, shake it, all right? Uh, this is more like the kind of boxer with teeth that like would destroy you if it was upset at all, all right? And so now this boyfriend and this girl that I'm dating are now, ex-boyfriend at least, are, I think, all right, are outside, all right? <laughs> They're yelling at each other, all right? Complete yelling at each other. And I'm sitting inside wondering what do I do now, right? This really wasn't in any dating talk, right? I really, there's no manual on this situation, all right? I'm really thinking kind of back to the basics of what is expected and what is my responsibility here in dating with a girl that may not be my wife, it may not be my wife at all. What is my responsibility? I kind of realized in that moment I had two choices. One, I could stay inside the living room where it was safe and protect myself, all right? In fear, all right? Or I could go to the door and I could stand up for this young lady knowing that I'm likely going to get my face beat in, all right? And so I do what any right man does. I stayed inside the living room. I'm just kidding, all right? <laughs> just kidding. I stood up, and I went to the door, and I took the biggest deep breath I could. I opened the door, and in the deepest voice that I could, with my chest bowed out as strongly and as powerfully as I could, I go, everything all right out here? Like, like some Western movie. I don't know. You're like, we're going to have like a gun shootout or something. I was like, is everything all right out here? And then the whole time I'm thinking, please let the answer be yes. Because if the answer is no, I don't really know what to do next. All right. 
And so thankfully the girl's like, yeah, everything's fine. I'll be back inside in just a minute. I was like, all right, good. I've done my part. I don't really know what's going to happen next. All right. So I sit back down kind of wondering what's going to happen next. And then about a minute later, she storms in. She doesn't say a word to me. She goes straight to her kitchen. She grabs a trash bag. All right. Then she goes back to her bedroom again, not saying a word to me. And she gives me to throw a bunch of stuff into it. All right. I would begin, I would find out a little bit later that everything that she threw in the trash bag was either something of his, a picture that had him in it or anything that just reminded her of him. All right. Throws it in the trash bag, opens the door again where he's standing. And I can see him now, takes the trash bag, throws it in his face, shuts the door, sits about next to me and says, let's watch the rest of the movie. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> what is going on? Right? I was completely like, I don't know what is happening. All right. So in that moment in courage, I stood up and I defended her a week later in wisdom. I got the heck out of that relationship. All right. <laughs> about a month later, Marcy and I would start dating and all would end well, right? As we would get married. All right. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, all right? My face is still good, all right? But it was one of those moments for me where I was like, what is the responsibility I have as a guy in a dating relationship? What is expected of me? What am I to do? That's where we're going to head this morning as we look at Second Solomon chapter 1 and 2. So for you guys, I'm going to be speaking directly at y'all. Uh, and I would tell you guys, buckle up because I'm going to come at you hard this morning, all right? For you ladies, I'll say zone in because what I hope to do for you guys is I hope to raise your expectation level of the kind of guy you would be dating. Honestly, I heard it once said, if you ladies call us boys, we will act like boys, all right? But if you call us men and you expect us to be men, we jump to that level and we become something that is manly, all right? And so what I want for you ladies is I want to raise your expectation of what a godly man looks like and what a godly man does in a dating relationship because we guys, we will rise to the level of your expectations, all right? That's where we're going to head this morning. Here's what's interesting, though. One quote for you guys in terms of the dating picture. I remember one time someone talked about the Christian world and said uh, they wanted to put two trash cans that were full of trash up here on a stage and make a parallel between Christian ladies and these trash cans that neither of them ever get taken out, all right? Now, I'll tell you guys that in some ways, you're like, what? That just happened, all right? I'll tell you guys, in some ways, there are some really weird dynamics that are happening sometimes, I think, on the Christian campus here and Christian relationships, all right? I think there's a lot of interest in dating, a lot of interest in marriage, but sometimes there's very little movement in the dating scene, all right? Why is that? Uh, someone said this, this great quote I ran across this week, says this, a guy named Kevin DeYoung in a book called Just Do Something. He says this, there's nothing wrong with being single, and please hear me say that. There is nothing wrong with being single. That's where you feel like God's led you and called you. That's fantastic, all right? It can be a gift from the Lord, and it can be a gift to the church. But when there is an overabundance of Christian singles who want to be married, and the implication here is there's a bunch of Christians who are wanting to be married, but no one's dating, no one's moving towards that uh, deal at all. They're just standing in paralysis. When that's happening, there is a problem. And notice what Kevin DeYoung does, gentlemen. That is a problem that I put squarely at the feet of young men whose immaturity, whose passivity, and indecision are delaying the growing up process. Guys, I'm coming for you this morning. And my hope is that what I want to challenge you guys to do, we're going to get to a series of roles that you guys have in dating, but my singular challenge to you this morning is this. I want you to be men of courage. I want you to be men of courage. And so whether you are going to date or whether you are not going to date, I want you to do either of those out of courage and faith and not out of fear. Some of us stay on the sidelines and don't get into the dating thing because we are terrified and we don't want to take a risk. Some of us jump into the dating thing because we're terrified of being alone. Either of those is a movement to date or not date out of fear and not out of faith and out of courage. And what I want for you men especially and for you ladies, I want you guys to step into this arena, this dating thing, or stay out of it out of faith and out of courage and not out of fear. 
So for you gentlemen, what is courage going to look like as you step into this dating thing? I'm going to give you guys three basic things this morning that really, I hope, define for you what a dating relationship could look like. Three basic roles that really, I think, ought to start spark for you a sense of where you're to go. The first one I'm going to give you guys is actually going to be probably <laughs> startling. This isn't what you would first think to do, but the first thing I want to ha- highlight for you guys is I hope you guys would listen as learners. That the first role that you guys have as you step into a dating relationship, men, is that you would listen as learners of these ladies. Why do I say that? A couple of reasons. One for you guys, uh, ladies, you may know this about us, but a lot of things for us start with our eyes. All right, gentlemen, I realize for you guys, sometimes attraction begins with your eyes, but it will grow and it will be maintained not on the basis of your eyes and what you see, but on the basis of your ears and what you hear. That attraction may begin on the basis of your eyes, but it's going to grow and it's going to develop on the basis of your ears and not your eyes. And so stop emphasizing to such an extent your eyes and begin to listen well. And here's the reality of most relationships between men and women. Uh, This is not an aside. This is just pure commentary, statistical evidence. But in the book of Song of Solomon, the woman speaks 59% of the time. All right. The man speaks 39% of the time. All right. Gentlemen, you're going to have opportunity to listen because ladies are verbal, all right? Ladies, you're laughing because you know it's true, all right? Ladies are often, and not to be stereotypical, but they're often more verbal than us guys, all right? Sometimes we guys can just sit in silence thinking about nothing. It's what we do, all right? We don't need words sometimes because we're really not thinking about anything sometimes. We're really just kind of blanking out. That's kind of what we do sometimes, all right? You ladies may have noticed, all right? Uh, But you ladies are more verbal, so it gives us men an opportunity to listen. And so one of the first challenges I want to give you guys as you step into dating is that you would be those that would listen well. That you'd listen well, that you would listen in a way to learn and understand this woman, not on the basis of your eyes, but on the basis of your ears and who she is. On the basis of your eyes, your knowledge of her is skin deep. On the basis of your ears, your knowledge of her is character deep. That the best thing that you can learn, the best way that you can pursue a dating relationship is not on the basis of eyes, but it's going to be your ears that are going to help this thing move and grow and attraction develop. All right? The reality is for us guys, though, we are typically not the best listeners, all right? That's really not what we typically do the best, all right? To that extent, in the midst of a guy and girl relationship, this is one of my favorite videos. I've showed it before, but I couldn't think of a video that captures this idea any better than a video called It's Not About the Nail, all right? It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me, and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there, stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just sometimes it's like there's this achy. I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. 
Oh, come on. If you would just... Don't... Try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go All right. I absolutely love that video. Obviously, it's kind of characterizing things to a certain extent, all right? Obviously, I think there's a tendency, I think we men, especially in the midst of a relationship, we are fixers, we are problem solvers, all right? Listening is sometimes not our intuitive skill set that we're the best at, all right? But I wanted to start here for you guys because I think really it's a starting spot for you guys to figure out as I step into a dating relationship, really, you got to begin to emphasize and learn how to ask good questions and learn how to listen well. If you're going to get to know the young lady that you're having an opportunity to date, it's going to be your ears that are going to move that relationship to a depth, not your eyes. Learn to listen well. Listening is incredibly honoring to her. Fixing is sometimes condescending, if you may have noticed, right? But listening is honoring, all right? And so for you guys, really, I think listening is a great spot for you guys to start to think through. As you step into a relationship, how can you get to know this girl? How can you honor her? How can you highlight things about her? You're going to see what Solomon does with this lady that he's getting to know in a little bit when he uses his words based on what he's seen and heard to highlight and encourage her in a minute. And I'll show you guys that in a minute. But really for you guys, some of us, we don't necessarily feel like we're the most intuitive, great listeners, right? I'll tell you guys, there's another thing that I often see happening is some of you guys are good listeners. Some of you guys really are trying to get to know a young lady, but here's the bigger challenge for some of you guys. It's not an inability to listen. It's not an inability to get to know a young lady of the opposite sex, but it's the willingness and the desire to continue to do that for far too long within a friendship setting. All right? For some of you guys, you know you're clearly attracted to someone of the opposite sex, and you continue to maintain your presence within a friendship as you continue to grow that attraction and you continue to get to know her. Here's the challenge is when you do that, it highlights male passivity and it creates female confusion, right? Last week, Sarah DeGroat talked about the fact that, hey, if a guy's flirting, uh, she talked a little about walking toward the music. Well, here's the deal. If you are within the context of a friendship, continuing to grow an attraction, first of all, you're completely deceiving her as to your intention. It's a friendship built on a false motive. She has no idea why you're there, no idea why you're building that friendship. Second of all, uh, it is creating all kinds of confusion for her. Uh, Sarah talked a little about last week about walking towards the music, but if you're not playing music or if you're playing really confusing music, she has no idea whether to walk towards it or walk away or run for her life, right? She has no idea what to do. She's absolutely confused. She talked, Sarah talked a little bit about reciprocating interest last week, but she has no idea what to reciprocate. Because you have not been bold, you've not been clear with your actions or your words, you've continued to hide within a friendship where it's safe, where there's no risk involved, and frankly, it's deceiving to her and confusing to her. For, for years, Marcy and I used to talk about this called, we would call it freighting, all right, friend dating, kind of like this kind of ambiguous uh, deal that has no terminology, right, where everyone kind of just stays in this friendship thing. Everyone else knows you're dating, but y'all won't call it dating, right? No one else wants to define the relationship, except everyone else is around y'all, all right? If your friends can call it, then for you guys especially, if you're interested, if you're attracted, then you need to not stay within that friendship setting too long. Uh, you need to, honestly, and this may sound even crazier, you need to stop praying about it and you just need to move forward and ask her out clearly on a date and then see what God's going to do. But for some of y'all, y'all stay within the concept of a friendship for months on end, all right? Building this huge attraction, building this huge interest, and then finally you play a card and you're clear about why you're in that friendship. And she's like, whoa, whoa. I completely now feel betrayed and mistrusted because I thought you were here as a friend for this reason, but you're here for a whole nother reason. Why do we as guys do that, though? Because it's safe, right? 
It's safe within the context of a friendship where there's no risk of rejection. And what you're going to see from Solomon here, finally, when we get to the text, is he was a man of boldness and a man of clarity and a man of encouragement. There was no uh, ambiguity as to his actions or his feelings, all right? When you show up and you ask out a girl on a date, it ought to be like a dude cannonballing into a pool, right? Everyone knows you just arrived, all right? There's no confusion that you're there, and you have no idea really the temperature of the pool, right? Sometimes some of us guys, we kind of like to slip our toe in the water, kind of get a sense if it's warm, and then kind of self-like slip in the pool, and then no one knows we were even in the pool, right? That's what some of us do as we freight, and what I want to challenge you guys to do is to not take that, ab- that kind of activity into the pool, but just barrel right on in, all right? Not in a kind of weird, stalky, kind of crazy way, all right? But just in a way of clarity, all right? Like, hey, I am here for this reason, all right? That's exactly what Solomon will do. Notice the text. Notice, in a sense, a couple things I want you guys to see. That not only do we listen as learners, but we direct as encouragers. This is the second role guys have. We direct as encouragers. Solomon's act- actions and his words will show this with incredible clarity. His actions show incredible courage. And that's what he does in chapter 1, verse 8. He tells her uh, in chapter 1, uh, uh, verse 8, Go forth on the trail of a flock and pasture your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. That He sets up an opportunity for them to connect and to meet up. Not only does he do that, but notice also chapter 1, verse 11. In verse 10, he praises her external beauty. And then in verse 11, I think this is clearly the activity of a boyfriend or someone who's dating. We will make for you ornaments of gold, of beads of silver. All right. He's buying and he's making jewelry. If you're doing that as a friend, confusion people. All right. Uh, jewelry. He's making purchases. All right. Not only that, but notice also verse chapter tw- uh, one, verse 12. She says, while the king was at his table, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. And she begins to describe an interaction as she was at his table. He had prepared a meal. He had prepared his table. He had invited her there. Even more so, chapter 2, verse 4, notice what he says. The text tells us that he has brought me to his banquet hall, right? As you look at the actions that Solomon has in chapters 1 and 2, Solomon is absolutely the bold initiator of action, all right? He is the one who's moving forward, all right? He is the one who's playing music, whether you want to walk towards it, ladies, or not. He has the first move. He has the first phone call. He sets up the first date, all right? Ladies, do not walk toward music that is not being played. Do not play the music yourself, all right? Let him play it. Let him initiate. Let him take that risk. And if he's not clear, then you keep hanging back. Make him be clear, all right? Solomon's going to be absolutely courageous with his actions, and then he's going to be clear with his words, all right? Uh, we guys sometimes get the first half of this right. We come boldly. We cannonball in the pool, but then we don't really actually explain why we're there, right? <laughs> we just kind of assume our actions are clear, and we don't follow up with an explanation of why we're doing what we're doing, all right? And so, gentlemen, uh, I'm going to highlight two things for you guys about what Solomon does. One, he's got courageously clear actions, all right? He takes the initiative in the relationship. Number two, he explains what he's doing. And it's absolutely essential because if you act, but you don't explain it, here's what's going to happen every time you dropped off this young lady after a date. Her roommates are going to assemble around her, all right? They're going to talk about what you said, what you wore, what you did. The ladies are laughing because they know it's true, all right? Uh, And they're going to analyze every single thing about the date. And if you've acted and you've not connected dots and explained, then you are out of control because they're speculating and filling in the gaps for you. And you may not like how they fill in the gaps, all right? So what Solomon will do is going to be clear that he's going to be bold in his actions, and then he's going to supplement that with an explanation of his motives, and he's going to communicate with his words in absolute clarity, such that we don't even see these girls speaking about the date because it's so clear what's going on. They don't need to speculate. 
He's, she's talking to them in chapter one. She'll talk to them again at the end of this date, but they're not analyzing it because he's acted with decisiveness and he's explained with clarity. We guys typically struggle at that, right? Sometimes we don't act with boldness and clarity. And when we do, then we don't follow that up with an explanation of what we're doing and why. All right. That's what Solomon does. Notice his words. He's going to start with public affirmation, right? Everyone knows what Solomon is doing. Everyone knows the manner of his intention. Notice chapter two, verse four. The text tells us that uh, she says, he has brought me to his banquet hall and his banner over me is love. Everyone loves this verse. No one has an idea what it means, all right? His banner over his me is love. That just sounds awesome, all right? Put that in a song, put that in a poem. Don't quote it. You don't really know what it means, all right? So here's what's happening, all right? Uh, in the military, in a sense, they would have a banner that would fly over the army, all right? And that banner showed the ownership, not the ownership, that sounds awful, all right? But showed the association, all right, of that military with its commanding officer in terms of whose that military was, all right? What she's saying is his banner flies over me. It's a banner of love that says here publicly he's affirming his intention about her. Everyone knows that he is into her. Everyone knows the nature of their relationship. He's publicly proclaimed that. So she's saying something that is clear to the public. And it's not just to the public. He's not just clearly communicated it publicly, but he's also affirmed that and been consistent with that privately. And here's really what I want you guys to pick up on because he's going to use his words to encourage her. He uses his actions to direct the relationship and then he uses his words to confirm why he's directing it that way and he encourages her with his words. But I want you guys to notice the nature of his encouragement. In chapter one, verse eight, here's where the relationship started. He said this about her. Chapter one, verse eight, if you yourself do not know most beautiful among women. He starts uh, in chapter one, verse eight, saying you are beautiful, all right? But now notice his encouragement deepen and expand the more that he gets to know her. As he's listening and he's learned about her, notice how his words follow that depth and follow that uh, growth and evolving as he gets to know her more. Notice what he says about her uh, in chapter one, verse nine. He says this, to me, my darling, you are like a mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. You're like a horse. <laughs> Don't try that, gentlemen. All right. What's he saying? All right. Uh, in military days, what they would happen is you would have uh, horses that, that pulled chariots. And sometimes what they would do is a, an attack strategy is they would send a fine looking mare. All right. Female horse right on into the military barracks. And what would happen is all the horses that were controlling the chariots would get so distracted by her captivating beauty, they had no way of attacking, all right? What he's saying is, you are so captivating, I can't think about anything else, all right? And that kind of sounds a little bit crazy, but he's just saying that, hey, you've completely captivated my attention, not just my eyes, but my heart. I'm into you and I'm captivated by you. I can't even focus on normal daily tasks, all right? He goes on further from that and he says this uh, in chapter uh, 1, verse 10. Notice as he continues to praise her physicality, he says that your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your necks with strings of beads. He begins to highlight her cheeks, her neck. He's talking about her beauty, the way that she's put herself together. But he goes even further from that, not just the physical, but he explains even more in verse 15. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. All right. Again, he doesn't just keep saying the same thing over and over again. How beautiful you are. You're beautiful. Have I told you you're beautiful, right? He's going to now expand on her beauty with specificity. And it's not just her physical external beauty, but it's going to be her internal beauty, right? Her eyes are like a flock of doves, right? Like that's kind of weird, right? That's not literal, right? What he's saying is that as he looks into her eyes, what he sees about her is a woman of peace and of gentleness and of purity. He's praising her character. He's going deeper in his knowledge of her and his words are following that depth of these praises are not just the outside, but also the inside. He's saying, hey, this is how I'm attracted to you. This is what I see in you. 
He goes even further uh, in chapter 2, verse 2, and he says, uh, Like a lily among thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. He says that you are unique. You're not just beautiful on the outside, but you're also beautiful on the inside, and you are unlike any other woman. You are unique. Fearfully and wonderfully made. You're unique. That's what he's doing, that with his words, he's highlighting for her how God has made her and how God has made her attractive as well on the inside and on the outside. It's interesting, if you, as we are here a few weeks ago, we looked at, her, I think, what was her insecurity in chapter 1, uh, verse 5. Then she says of herself in chapter 2, verse 1, I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. She's describing, frankly, a beautiful but a very common flower. And I think what you see about her movement and her character development in chapter 1 to chapter 2 is that she's gone from insecurity in chapter 1 to modesty in chapter 2. She's not saying, like, I'm a drop-dead knockout, right? Like, I'm just the best thing since sliced bread, all right? I'm the best woman around, right? She's, just, she's moved, though, from insecurity that she was unsure of herself to now modesty, a, a, a proper understanding of how God has made her and has got how God has put her together. The impact of this man in her life is that she's moved from insecurity to modesty and a proper understanding of who she is. Gentlemen, as you step into these ladies' life, your responsibility is to highlight for them how God has made them attractive, not on the outside only, but on the inside. That you highlight what is truly attractive about them, which is God's movement in their life, God's shaping of their heart and their character and their nature, their gentleness, their beauty. That it's not with your eyes, it's with your ears as you see and as you listen to their life. That's the impact Solomon has on her. As he directs her with boldness, and as he encourages her with specificity, all right? Solomon is a clear and a bold and a strong man. And the second thing, and the last thing I want you guys to see that Solomon will do is this, that he will protect her as a servant, that he will protect her as a servant. He doesn't just encourage her verbally, but then he will also protect her. Notice chapter two, verse three. Notice what she says about him. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. And in his shade... I took great delight and sat down in his shade, that there was a place of refreshment and safety in his presence. And I felt sure and I felt safe. She feels a sense of protection in his strength, a sense of protection in his presence. She feels safe and at ease. She's not pressured and she's not pushed. In fact, she says in chapter 2, verse 6, notice how deeply she is into him. She says, let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. Well, hello. That's a sexual position that she's referencing that she's wanting, all right? So she's saying, I feel so strong about him. I want to connect with him, sexually speaking. That's where I am. And if you guys were with us last week, you remember that Sarah highlighted not just verse 6, but verse 7 when she said this. She turns to the ladies that are her friends, and she says this. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. She is absolutely zoned into him. All right. But she also recognizes that she speaks to her friends. She says, but don't awaken love till it pleases. Practice restraint. Practice restraint in the midst of dating. Sarah talked a lot to you ladies last week about emotionally and mentally. Don't go running out ahead in fantasy, right? Don't awaken love. Don't be running after something that's not accurate. Let it develop naturally. Here, I'll take it the other direction too and talk about just the pure physicality of it. All right. She wants to have sex with this guy. All right. She does. But what she's saying about her own life and what she's saying to her girlfriends is don't go down that road until the timing is right. And the timing is right within the context of marriage. 
And so what she's saying is she's got a desire to be with this guy, but she recognizes that activity, that opportunity, that physical expression is reserved for the context of marriage. So don't awaken love until it pleases. Don't go down that road yet. Gentlemen, one of the key ways that you can protect the ladies that you date is that you protect their reputation and their purity. It is your job, I put it at your feet, to protect the purity of these young ladies in the midst of dating relationships. If you're in a dating relationship and it's going somewhere physically uh, that is contrary to the boundaries that you guys have established and contrary to where you felt freedom to go, and you continue to feel like guilt as you walk out of that dating relationship night after night, you guys need to talk about that. And frankly, before you even get in a dating relationship, I would encourage you to set up some boundaries, physically speaking, about what you feel is appropriate within the context of dating. One of the most basic ones we've often said and communicated is the three nothings, all right? Nothing lying down, no clothes coming off, and no hands below the neck and above the knees. The moment that one of those three starts to happen, I can guarantee you trouble is around the corner, right? And sometimes, too, it's just the context of realize the situation you put yourself in. If you're in a back bedroom with the door closed and no one's around, you're in trouble, all right? You're in trouble. That as you walk in dating, have some boundaries, communicate about those, and guys... Hold those boundaries. Do not pressure and do not push her past those boundaries. Gentlemen, it is you that I'm putting at your feet. Typically, it is us guys that hit the accelerator on that kind of stuff in the midst of dating. And I'm going to tell you this morning, knock it off. You are not honoring her. You are not loving her by pushing her beyond what she's ready for or what she feels is appropriate. And you say you love her, but that is not loving. And to you ladies, let me say this. And this may start, be start to some of you. But if you're in a dating relationship with a guy who cannot honor you by protecting your purity, and he doesn't have the self-control to do that, though he says he loves you, why do you think he will have more self-control in marriage? Why do you think his character will change in marriage than you can see right now? You're being naive. That if you see a guy right now who does not have the self-control and the character and the love for you to protect you and to not pressure you, it will be the same guy when y'all get married. Why is he going to have a better opportunity at self-control in marriage than he does right now? I guarantee you, gentlemen, marriage is not the solution to a challenge in sexual temptation. When you get married, you realize how deep that sin goes and how so much of your mind and your heart is sinful. It doesn't go away. It just shows itself up even more strongly. And so if marriage is not the solution, then why are you dating a guy whose character you do not respect, who cannot lead you and protect you? Why are you continuing that relationship? For some of you guys, let me say this. It may be time to take a break. It may be time to take a break. From someone whose self-control and character you are not seeing demonstrated, and the relationship is becoming more and more problematic. You're having a harder and harder time trusting him. You're having a harder and harder time feeling safe in his presence because you feel pressured. And it may be necessary for a time or maybe permanently to take a step out of that relationship. I ran across a quote this week that I thought was incredibly encouraging, actually. Uh, Actually, it was a tweet, so it wasn't the full context of it. But here's what the tweet said I saw yesterday. It said this, failure is an event. Failure is an event. It doesn't tell you who you are. And it's an event, and it's never a person. See, failure is an event. It doesn't shape your identity. It doesn't tell you who you are. And it's clearly not a person. In contrast to the person of Jesus Christ, 
whose death and resurrection provided power over sin so that the sin that you're walking in, the failure that you continue to experience, it does not have to forever separate you from God. That his grace always extends over that sin, but even more so, his death and his resurrection, that person of Jesus Christ can write a new story and reshape that relationship. But the question is this, which person is most important to you? The one you're dating or the person who's died for you and been resurrected to provide you freedom? And sometimes we so cling to that dating and relationship that we allow that character assassination, that character compromise to continue to fester. And sometimes what you have to do is let go of the dating thing, move back, find healing and restoration in Christ's presence, and then maybe come back in this thing and try it again. It is possible if you've gone too far to write that course, but it gets hard. And as you maintain that relationship and maintain those struggles, it gets really, really hard to write that to the direction that you really feel like you want it to be. Sometimes a break is helpful. Because really what's most important, clinging on to that person at all cost or walking well with Jesus Christ. I'll tell you over and over again, I think dating can be an incredible place for you to grow in your faith and be transformed into the image of Christ. But there are times where it becomes a tension and moves you away from Christ. If you're dating the right person, if you're dating the right kind of guy who listens well, who encourages, who directs, and who guards you, ladies, you will walk more and more uh, passionately with Jesus Christ as you pursue a guy who's running wholeheartedly after Christ. But if you're pursuing a guy who's not doing that, expect compromise, expect pressure, expect difficulty. What do you want most? A deepening relationship with Jesus Christ or some guy who, frankly, is he really worth it? Is he really walking well with Jesus Christ? Ladies, I want to raise the bar for you as to what a godly man looks like. Also, I want to tell you that none of us in college are exactly all that that bar is raised to. So give us grace. Realize that we are, as guys, leaders and lovers who are in formation and who are growing and struggling and groaning and trying to reach to that level. So realize that we are in process, but be looking for a guy who's not perfect, but be looking for a guy who's running wholeheartedly after Jesus Christ because the rest of it will take care of itself. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I thank you immensely for your grace and your kindness and that our failures are a litany of events that the enemy brings up over and over again. And Father, I pray this morning is not that you would allow us to experience a deeper guilt, but that you would allow us to experience a deeper passion for you, a deeper passion for righteousness, a higher standard for what it looks like to walk in dating. Father, I pray that you would surround us with those that are pursuing you wholeheartedly and that our dating lives could be another area that we're transformed into your image and another area that we see you exalted and lifted up and another area that we really can pursue you uh, with a clean conscience and a renewed passion. Lord, I love you. I love you that you pursued us even at all costs, even when we were enemies to you. I love that the gospel shows us that there is a future, even in the midst of our past transgressions, that you can right that ship and make it anew any day that we come to you. Father, for some of us, we may need to do that. We may need to come in confession and really say, hey, you know what? I don't know what our future is in this relationship, but you are more important to me, and I want you to direct this relationship. Lord, may you be king over it. May it not be an idol to me that I pursue no matter how violent and no matter how difficult it gets. Lord, might you restore a simplicity of devotion for us as we pursue you. And Lord, might you direct us as we date. Lord, help us to date well. Help us to date in a way that the world looks on and goes, that is different. That's God honoring. That's selfless. 
That's what love really looks like, in which we guard, in which we protect, in which we encourage one and the other, from guys to the girls and from girls to the guys. Lord, I pray that we would date in a way that the world and the campus would look upon us and go, why? What's behind that? And that we could exalt your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Ask for these things this morning through your son and by your spirit. Amen.